and welcome to the Free Range Buffalo. Break free from the herd. Today we're going to be talking about the false end of hydrocarbons. How finance is missing the boat on how this is going to shake out. Joining me with me today is my good friend Michael Morris. Hello Bryce. So, you've been following the news, you've been seeing everything going on. I see uh, the former Bank of Canada chairman and the former Bank of England uh, chairman is uh, Mark Carney is calling for the end of finance for fossil fuels, that there should be financial penalties and various other de-incentives for uh, financing the uh, hydrocarbon industry. And uh, there was another fellow there uh, on MSNBC. Um, I'm not sure his name, but uh, BlackRock recently came out with their annual letter suggesting similar uh, similar things, changes to accounting standards, etc. Yes. So, yeah, so they're, so they're trying to financially de-incentivize people from actually investing in the uh, hydrocarbon uh, energy market. And the, the funny thing is, is that they insisted calling it fossil fuels to almost like a negative connotation. And for every, you know, we're, we're two Albertans, it's like the uh, negative uh, campaign they did against the oil sands when they keep trying to call it tar sands, which is to put a negative connotation in people's mind. You know, well, oil. a name by any other, a rose by any other name. Yeah, right? would, would it still burn as clean? Yes. Uh, yeah, so this is quite an interesting uh, and really new phenomenon as far as how clearly it's being articulated that there is a concerted public effort to manipulate financial markets to a uh, supposed moral uh, gain. So, I mean, there's a whole angle about financial manipulation, which I find quite um, distasteful, you know, not, not letting the markets actually decide um, what is the most efficient way uh, to power ourselves? Um, which is also really, really uh, stinging, considering that America, the United States of America, is the only country, or one of the only countries, or is the leading country uh, for um, reduction in CO2, not because of any overarching regulations, but because of its rapid adoption of natural gas, which was solely the basis of, because of its economic incentives, because it was the cheapest fuel. That's why coal is no longer used in the United States, or, or nearly to the degree, because of market. So I find market manipulation, just as a practice, is a terrible idea. It often backfires. <laughs> you know, I, I can't think of one example where going, oh, oh, boy, I'm glad we manipulated that market. That worked out well. Um, so you have this, de- this de-incentivization for hydrocarbon. But I want to take a look, because w- w- one thing that got pointed out... Um, by uh, some financial analysts when I was looking at MSNBC, not that I want to watch them too often, but they were talking about how the overall share of the American stock exchange, how much that's been reduced. I believe the numbers they use, they, you know, that uh, around 2014, 2015, you know, there was about, I want to say, 15% of the overall market has now dropped to 4% of overall capitalization on the NYSC, um, uh, New York Stock Exchange. And that's a massive reduction, which also has afforded people this way to take a look at at hydrocarbon and using these super majors who are are on the uh, NYSE, like Chevron, uh, BP, Royal Dutch Shell, ExxonMobil, you know, all the big majors have all had to take 
severe write downs on some of their major pro- uh, projects. Um, some through to to some um, strategic decisions that were made in the past that were no longer viable, and uh, some to some mismanagement. Uh, BP because they they were on a series downward spiral ever since of the even before the deep um, deep water horizon disaster and the giant payout they had. So the super majors are vulnerable. Reduction level of uh, percentage of the NYSE by by numbers, which has afforded a certain amount of public animosity and virtue signaling to creep into the financial markets with very little um, uh, blowback because you're in, the investor class, the people who are just investing their money, they just are looking for a rate of return. So if, you're, if your energy market's only returning 3 or 4 or 5%, if that, maybe they're not even providing that depending on the company, uh, you're, you're, you're not going to be put out that they're going to be saying, well, I don't want to invest in fossil fuels. That's dirty. We can all pat ourselves on the back. We're going to put that money into uh, Amazon, which is producing far greater uh, returns. Mm-hmm. However, I think that's to me. And you and I were talking about this about the energy markets. Not, uh, the one thing I would like to point out for those who aren't really all that well versed in the energy markets, um, you know, I'm a former uh, oil field worker myself before I switched out. Very honorable place to work. Some really wonderfully talented, bright people try and do uh, really good things in that uh, that sector. The one thing you learn really quickly is the Rates of decline. Oh, are, are you familiar that much with the, with the rates of decline within um, oil fields? Yeah. Yeah, so basically what what it is is that after you drill a well, very simply, you're, once you're at maximum production, the fields will naturally decline as, as the, both the oil is depleted and, and the field itself is depressurized. Now, there's a couple of really fancy things you can do. You can uh, start doing a water flood, which is to inject water down one well, and then, which pushes the oil up on an, uh, out of other well bores, called the water flood. You can also do that with uh, CO2, various other methods of pushing one down substance and then to getting more oil out. But that requires investment, requires time, requires expertise. Then on top of that, you also have the unconventional place in, uh, in shale where you're drilling for hundreds and thousands of meters horizontally through shale rock and then fracturing it hydro- hydraulically. Great kick of oil and then a really rapid decline like like these these wells really power out within the first two years and then you're on a really low low level so you have to maximize your rate of return within that that time frame to get your the value out so why am i bringing that up when, when i'm talking about the, the fuel the hydrocarbon and uh no, no longer investment well here's the thing since 2014 for those who are not involved in energy and very few people are because the energy market the energy price has been so stable around the world around what 50 or 60 dollars mm-hmm. west texas intermediate around and brent they've even married up a couple times so those are the two measures of global price of oil those two, two measurements and this, but so in that time trillions of dollars of investing planned investiture around the world evaporated the super majors, uh, like Petrobras, which is the Brazilian national company, was going to be drilling oil off of uh, Brazil in their huge find. Um, that That's off the table right now. Uh, you have oil fields that were going to be off the west coast of Africa are offline. Uh, investors across the Middle East never really materialized. You know, the investiture in Russia never really uh, kept a pace. Around the world, all these global um, uh, markets or global projects never really launched off since the 2014 collapse. 
So you would expect, as we all did in the, in the oil patch, that there would be, you know, the, the best answer to low prices is low prices because then the decline hits, you don't have enough oil to feed the market, and then the price would, would rise. But there's been a phenomenon in the United States called shale oil where they have just been punching oil wells all throughout the states. And now, which has driven America from being a net importer of oil to now being an exporter. I mean, this was seen as impossible. I mean, this is, they were the biggest importer of oil through the late 70s and 80s. And I mean, the, the, the best years of the American oil industry were going to be gone. It is now the single largest producer of um, oil and hydrocarbons in the world because of this technology. So they've covered up the rest of the world's decline. Now, here's the thing with America trying to definance super majors because they're not producing these big projects they're not really generating massive amounts of return and they're trying to define and they're trying to definance the um the shale drillers these smaller companies in uh, in texas and in the north dakota and elsewhere where they have shale oil fields because of their the profitabilities they're razor thin because of the price margin so they're trying to shut that down well here's the thing the decline still hasn't gone away so worldwide, oil consumption hovers around 97 million uh, barrels of oil a day. That, that's what we consume. Now, America's rise in production, so they stopped importing and they started exporting, has covered up a huge amount of um, uh, lost production around, around the world, including OPEC. And our consumption has not risen. In the developed world, it's actually gone down because of a bunch of efficiencies that have been coming online, more fuel-efficient cars, electrification, not driving as much through demographic changes. The, there's a host of reasons. But the but the demand has been increasing elsewhere to offset that. So it's actually balanced out. That's why we've been hovering just under the 1 million uh, barrels a day of consuming uh, hydrocarbon. So what happens when the decline finally hits? Let's say the shale goes offline for because they can't finance for six months, eight months, and the rest of the world realizes that there's a massive deficit. You know, and I think... That's the one thing I want to really, you know, this is really quite of a long-winded start uh, for this discussion, really to set the, the groundwork for saying when that decline in, uh, in production around the world, you know, I can list off how many countries, or Libya just knocked off, they went from 1.1 million barrels at thereabouts and they're down to 375 due to some civil insurrection. Russia had a massive pipeline disruption due to some contamination with, of their pipeline knocked out you know, a quarter of their production for a month in uh, in May, and it took uh, last year, 2019, and it took them almost three months to get that back to f- back up to normal volume again. Um, so there's aging infrastructure. Wells aren't producing. The only ones who've been investing are the Saudis, but even their production, that might just be to stabilize it because their, their numbers, their oil field is a complete mystery because it's a state secret. Iran, Iran's under huge sanctions. Their oil field's completely... Um, abused and we have no idea what the state of that field is so you can take a look and say okay well with all the changes going on 97 million barrels even if that were to take a haircut say take not five million in consumption off off the table that's still not going to make up for the what you can anticipate are the rapid declines in all of the aging oil fields around the world and that once we go into a delta between consumption and production that's when the old rules start taking over again so 
I'm really quite interested to see, like, what are your thoughts? Do you think the financial markets, like, if if what I'm saying is true, that that, that the decline, the decline, and that, that's that's a fact. I mean, that's that's just a reality of oil field. If they're able to successfully throttle the um, uh, the shale producers away, and all of a sudden the price spikes up, do you think the financial markets are going to still have that same bellicose language against hydrocarbon? Hmm. No, I, I struggle with that one. Yeah. Uh, because there's been such a united effort uh, to demonize the hydrocarbon industry throughout the world. Yes, there has. Uh, I think for your theory to, to come to fruition, which could, is uh, it, it rests on the financialization of these highly indebted shale plays in, in the United States. Yes. I don't think that uh, there's many... Uh, retail or, or institutions that serve sort of retail investors mm. uh, that are heavily invested in hydrocarbons anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I would venture to guess primarily the debt holders of these shale plays are probably hedge funds. Uh, some institutions may be public pensions, although I think that they are being pushed uh, by this agenda to sort of divest of those things too. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to get a, um, a higher rate of return as a hedge fund, perhaps uh, five, six, seven percent in the high yield type uh, return yeah. for financing these companies. And until they call those, uh, you're able to sustain that. With the high decline, it requires high uh, repeated investment. Mm. You have to be continually reinvesting uh, uh, in your in your company, in your oil yep. play, yep. Uh, to prevent that. So can they keep the shell game going for a little bit, perhaps? Um, I think, though, when you see the price spike is perhaps when everybody else is seemingly thrown in the towel. That's kind of what happens in, yep. in, in markets is when people capitulate, that's when things tend to turn around. Yes. And uh, so there's potential for outside, outsized returns in in the hydrocarbon industry, if what you're saying comes to fruition, at that point, it will be too late for the general public or, or the media to kind of uh, pivot pivot, yeah, and, and change their language and say that, hey, this is a good thing. And it would be on, on false premises based on what they've stated their argument on now. And that would be because that would be because now there's financial incentive uh, for you to invest in that. But the returns are already going to be behind probably 40 and 50% moves. And then you might see a shift in language that, hey, this isn't so bad. Uh, yet you'll, you'll miss the outside move and you'll be behind the curve as an investor anyways. That's really interesting because, you know, if, if at the end of the day, because what, Whenever you know, we've talked about this before. One of the precursors for a really global recession is when you see a significant rise in uh, in energy prices. You actually mm-hmm. had a st- you had a statistic for that, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe it's eighty percent year over year. The Dr. Stephen Liebs come up with this uh, recession indicator: eighty percent year over year price in uh, in West Texas. Right. So he, he, here herein lies if you have. Uh, and if, if if there was a sudden recognition, an inflection point 
of uh, decline that all of a sudden arrived to the global consciousness where we all of a sudden realized that we were in energy deficit. Prices spike up. This is no longer just a security uh, risk pricing premium. There's actual um, supply demand imbalance. And so the prices spike up. You, if you get what this is, 80%, which is possible, you're going to have a whole bunch of corollary problems that are about to just launch itself. One, petroleum is one of the largest input costs for modern agriculture. Even across many places of the developing world, they've switched off a lot of manual labor and have replaced a lot with mechanical, which is hydrocarbon input. So if you take a look, and I was looking at these, these numbers, the last time we saw a massive rise in food prices was around the 2014, 2014 era when we were just reaching and breached the $100 barrel. Uh, we went up to 110, 100, I think we even touched 120 for like a day. The price was spike on food was huge. It went from $4 a bushel of wheat up to about seven eighty for a bushel. I mean, almost a near doubling. You know, I think it was 80% uh, year on year. Massive price spike, which actually you can tie directly to the Arab Spring was less about a cry for freedom than the problem was the state was no longer able to subsidize their food the way they were previously able to. And it is that imbalance. So if you see a hydrocarbon, like the, this is where the interconnectivity really gets quite interesting to me. And all this virtue signaling, I think, is more of a, um, a, a luxury of ignorance about primary drivers of an economy. So if... You think that you can have all of the trappings of a technological advanced world without cheap food, which is supplied by cheap energy, those things are hand in glove. So if all of a sudden you see a spike in energy, and here's, here's the heartbreaking thing, because you don't have a, 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 any easy investment other than some shale oil plays that are already well developed in the United States, Argentina has some, but they're probably about two to three years to get ramped up. Canada, because we've been so gutted um, by our own policies and uh, lack of foresight, would probably take us about two years just to wrap up our own shale oil, maybe three. And that still doesn't compete with American, but we can contribute. But every other play is about a five-year window for some like in Nigeria, and then every other major play is 10 years of, from execution call, investment to return. So you could be in a, you could be in a real structural energy deficit which could be one of the bigger destabilizers to our current uh order and i think that's a really interesting thing so when i hear these guys saying oh it's the end of fossil fuels listen i I, i'm looking at the international energy association's forecast for energy consumption they're even out to 20 2040 and they're 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 drinking the green kool-aid the rest of those eco warriors are saying we need to divest with all of the re renewables they're still saying it plateauing or not plateauing until 2030 our energy demands and then only plateauing out till like 2040 that's still a near on 100 million barrels of oil demanded so as soon as there's a structural deficit the price has to spike and no amount of financial um uh, de-incentivization are you going to have when people are no longer able to afford their iPhones and their um, uh, electronic conveniences they're going to have to prioritize putting you know f their air conditioner on and food and refrigeration over anything else once once that inflection point happens you're going to see a massive 
shift around. So instead of being able to get your uh, 10 points out of a, you know, the stock market without a fight, without any energy, energy will now become an essential part of your portfolio because it's one of the more fundamentals you can rely on. Well, it's such an integrated part of our daily lives. If we look mm. at all the products that we consume or use on a daily basis, hydrocarbons are almost in everything. So even if we were to able to put a meaningful dent in the demand of, say, cars, sure. if we could go all EV tomorrow, yes, it's going to make a meaningful difference in terms of demand, but it's not going to change the calculus of what our modern economy is based on, yes. and that's cheap energy and readily available hydrocarbons that we've built into every single thing that we use in the modern society. Yeah. So... Uh, reducing demand to to a point that it's sustainable is is years off, and uh, is very misguided. Now, uh, from a, a noble standpoint, you're trying to change the economy and and into other things. Well, it's just as as far off. It's uh, there's no alternative right now for for a lot of the consuming products, which is what our economy is based on. Mm. Um, without hydrocarbons and you, you know what the really funny thing is when um when i when think about when you were uh talking about you know, the wrong incentives will end up happening if my hypothesis is correct that the declines happen there's going to be a huge shock to the price per barrel it would actually be a massive incentive for all those renewable energy uh, providers because all of a sudden, your metrics for success, for profitability, just like some oil plays that all of a sudden come and play, like previous places you wouldn't drill for oil for less than $80. Well, you're going to drill. Well, guess what? Projects you wouldn't consider being profitable at, unless oil was at 80 or $90 all of a sudden become viable. You know, solar, you know, larger solar farms, more wind farms, potentially more um, investment in fifth generation modular nuclear fission plants, or even uh, really doubling down on, on, on experimental fusion. All of those things, because all of a sudden when energy becomes part of that dynamic, like the really ironic thing is that all these virtue signaling financiers and politicians and Hollywood elite really are really missing the point. They're not harnessing the market. And they're not anticipating. The fact is, is that unbeknownst to you, is that the the energy market is about to go into such a severe correction and overdrive, which is going to really piss you off because the oil guys are going to make a ton of money. But it's going to open a real alternative window for the accelerated adoption of energy efficiency, much like when OPEC first applied the um, embargoes in the in the 1970s. Americans even though they were in recession, switched out their big gas-guzzling um, Cadillacs for small compact Hondas. You, they were still consuming, they are still buying things, and, and, they, and energy consumption became a primary focus. It wasn't just the rich buying a Tesla SUV for a virtue signaling pat on the back so that way they can all show their, uh, their neighbors how, how uh, righteous they were. Instead, it's going, you know, mom, pa down the street going, uh, yeah, no, I can't afford to leave my house unless I have, I'm driving a hybrid that gets, you know, 100 MPG. And that's the great irony is that this could actually be the greatest impetus for the massive switch off of hydrocarbon because it's going to properly incentivize people to be inventive, to be creative and do what capitalism does best. Well, and I think that's so they're priming and conditioning people towards mm. that as well. Oh yeah, so oh, so, so even being part of a a larger, 
So are, are, are you saying that this is an actual anticipatory move for, for renewables because they're anticipating an energy crunch? It, it, it could be that, and it could be some of these things we've talked about, peak oil and things like that, have, have been talked about for a number of decades, uh, at least two. And then the, uh, the fact that any time we've had price spikes ha- has led to an increase of, uh, of consumerism, or not mm. consumerism, uh, renewables and consumer yep. behavior shifting and things like that. Um, perhaps this unforeseen shale revolution has, has uh, mitigated that for a little while. But if you're on the side of we need more renewables and, and things like that, and maybe we do, this is uh, it plays perfectly into your hand. Yes, it does. And, and, and so I think they're almost, I think it's what, what drives me so much because they're willing to play with um, tools that we have in place to maximize capitalism and its efficiencies. And anytime that you play with those institutions, and you're, and you're distorting it, you're going to get, it's going to respond in ways you don't anticipate. And what worries me is that people are willing to change and manipulate markets that we've had and the rules we've had for these markets for so long, and they're willing to distort them for ends that really aren't, they're almost going to be counter to what uh, what's going to happen. So anyways... I'm actually, uh, yeah, if, if, if any of you has got some, uh, some pesos lying around, don't do it yet because there has to be a, the, the, like maybe you do want to pull your money out of fossil fuels, as they would call it, or out of, out of the energy companies now. But get ready because when you see the uh, inflection happen, when you see that moment of decline and because and, uh, demand's not going to go anywhere, once you start seeing that, that, that rise up or if you see the shale players start getting really, really beat up, Get ready, um, because you're going to see hundred dollar barrel of oil quickly thereafter, and then we're going to see a big change in everything. On that note, from all of us here at the Free Range Buffalo, Rome free.